welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. As always, I'm Dane Wallace here again with Freya Spence, and today we have a very special episode for you. So special, in fact, that we had to record it twice due to a super fun technical issue. Our guest today is Mike Fitch, an innovative fitness educator and movement coach with over 18 years of experience in the fitness industry. As the founder of Global Bodyweight Training, Mike has developed multiple programs that focus on skill-based bodyweight training, including the Bodyweight Athlete Program and the system that we'll discuss in detail today, Animal Flow. A gifted communicator and teacher, Mike loves sharing his experience and knowledge. He has taught thousands of individuals around the world as a featured presenter at major fitness conferences, as a contributor and subject of countless media pieces, and through both online and in-person educational courses. Mike is also a close friend and one hell of a person, so you're in store for a great conversation today. As always, if you appreciate our content, please subscribe to the podcast and share wherever possible, whether through word of mouth, social media, or both. Thanks for listening, and without further ado, here's the latest episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. Mr. Michael Fitch, welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me here. Uh, well, thanks for having us oh, here in, in your home. And we've been here for a few days now, and you've been kind enough to put us up while we made our trek down here to Colorado to shoot some video for the On Demand channel, which we'll get into later. Yeah, look at us now, chilling to the max. Exactly. We're down in the theater room mm-hmm. in some beanbag chairs, really just having a great time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so we'll dive right in. To give a little bit of a background, your background for our listeners, can you go into what you did when you first got into this industry? So I started, let's see, I obtained my first training certification, my NSCA cert when I was 19, I believe. And at the time I was living in New York City and I began my first training job with a company called Equinox in New York City, which most people would probably know uh, because they spread out quite a bit around the States and also into some other countries like like UK. Canada. And Canada. That's right. That's right. So, uh, I, look, I was lucky enough to start with a gym that put a tremendous amount of emphasis uh, and money and resources into educating their trainers. And so, one, being a very young man, living in New York City, having to get up at like 3.30 in the morning, take three trains to get to my 5.15 a.m. floor shift, it was like it was a great way to cut my teeth as a personal trainer and it was a great way to learn the hustle and learn just how much work you really need to put into building a successful personal training business and you know just because i would i would get there at 5:15 in the morning and i would basically stay until 9 p.m. at night one because it was quite a trek to get back to my my apartment but then also it was just you know just being there spending time there and watching the other trainers and 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 observing and one of the senior trainers was nice enough to show me his sleeping spot that was underneath a generator George Costanza <laughs> so that was fun and it basically just buzzed and was like a million degrees so i would sleep under there when i got too tired I'm laughing because I feel like almost every facility I've ever been at in the health realm, whether sports clinic or main gym, has those 
well-known little sleeping spots mm-hmm. for little nooks yeah yeah little nooks where you can like take a mat and some towels and create a little bit of a <laughs> repose and they're expensive real estate i mean like you know you have to get in there first lay claim there might be some other people in there at the same time so it can get dicey I'm not gonna lie it's not like you've ever fallen asleep inside a little cubby freya yeah, I was really burnt out a few times, and I, I did fall asleep. This isn't a proud moment for all the listeners, by the way. This is not something that was premeditated. It was more just like I was so burnt out that I went into a relatively big storage closet to get mm-hmm. something out and fell asleep. <laughs> and woke up a few minutes later panicked of like, oh my God, have I missed something? I shouldn't be here. Why am I on the floor? So we don't recommend that in the industry. At all. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. So if you went into a storage closet, did you bend down to get something? And then you're just yeah. like, hmm, this yeah. is nice. It was, yeah, it was on the one of the lowest shelves. Mm. And um, it was just a case where, like, I sat down. Right. And then it was like, oh, I can lean against this. Okay, I'm just going to take a few deep breaths. And then mm. out, lights out. Yeah. So I was just thinking if you found yourself waking up on the floor and the last thing you remember was standing there may be some bigger issues at play yeah that's called uh that's called fainting and vasovagal and uh, (laughs) i've definitely had that too Mm -hmm. but i usually remember what happens before that going back to the original question (laughs) i might be mistaken mike but i believe your father was also in the fitness industry well (laughs) <laughs> I saw apparently a he recently. was and that's the funny thing is i didn't even know <laughs> which is great i'm like who are you i don't even know my dad no uh but when when i was uh, a young punk teenager i was very much into skateboarding and, and music and and so my dad and i that was our bonding experiment experience excuse me so we would we would train together work out together and then eventually my friends was would come and and join us so he was always a big inspiration for me as far as fitness goes but the last time that i was visiting home just recently my mom just nonchalantly mentioned that they owned a gym uh, i guess in the 80s and uh, I had no idea. And so there's some like newspaper clipping of, of my dad, like spotting some guys squatting in their gym that they owned. And I was just like, huh, <laughs> information I feel like would have been important to know earlier. Funny how you just followed in the lineage and you didn't even know. And that's it. I really had no choice. Clearly. Yeah, of course. Obviously. Clearly. You can't make your decisions for yourself. Now. You got into bodyweight training in your 30s. So can you walk our listeners through where you started and what kind of prompted the motivation to go that route? Sure. Yeah. So I had, again, I'd, I'd been training from the time I was 19 uh, as a as a job. And, you know, I was uh, I consider myself to be a, a seeker. And so I would always look for new modalities, new theories, new ideas and so I, I kind of ran the gamut, you know, I went, I went through everything from kettlebell training to Olympic lifting to speed agility quickness training to uh, pre-post rehabilitation. And then I eventually found myself where most guys do where I just wanted to lift really heavy things and be as big and jacked as I possibly could be. And I was quite a bit bulkier than I am now. And I just, I didn't feel good in my body. And I knew that there, something had to change. I had an, an innate message that just kept recycling that was to train to last and our is what you're doing now is that going to make your existence better 10 years from now 20 years from now and the 
overwhelming answer just seemed to be no. <laughs> so I decided I just turned 30 years old and I decided to put down the weights 100% and only explore body weight training disciplines. And so that really started with calisthenics or what would now be known as street workout. And so that was really just the idea of it was very empowering to me that you could build this beautifully symmetrical physique even if we're just talking about the aesthetic side without using anything and you know the the coolest thing to me at that time was just thinking wow this these incredible infinitely complex bodies that we're gifted to be in really is the best piece of exercise machine that man could even think about making and so that was the catalyst for me to continue exploring and so after you know once i got into calisthenics and bodyweight training i was really motivated to start exploring things like gymnastics and parkour and break dancing and you know i was totally shit at all of them <laughs> and that was fun too because uh, you know i think anytime that you're exposed to something that you're really bad at you have essentially two options you go okay this is cool i need to get way deeper into this or you go nope i'm gonna walk away and go pick up my ego outside of the door so when I was exploring these different things, I realized like, wow, there's so much here just in these different body weight movement disciplines that my clients could benefit from, but they are never going to go take a gymnastics class or join a parkour group or go take a break dancing lesson. So I just kind of decided, all right, well, how can I take these components or some of the inspiration from these components and make a program that's easily accessible that anyone can do that could be taken apart and used as a tool or used in its totality. And that was animal flow. Well, and it is so approachable compared to a lot of gymnastics programs where you already have to have a high level of proficiency to be able to even start. Whereas the nice thing about this is just like getting people re-familiarized with their body all over again. Now, having said that, when you entered into bodyweight training, was there anything that surprised you that you didn't necessarily expect, whether it was like how your body felt or just principles that you learned that you hadn't touched on before? Was there anything that stood out? Yeah. Again, I think it was the lack of coordination that I had. <laughs> <laughs> we all start somewhere, folks. <laughs> And just how I would, I would see like, I would, and I'm a huge advocate of coaches. I'm such a big advocate of coaches. If you want to learn something, go to the source or go to someone who is very much skilled in that thing. And so you get instruction. You're like, I see what you're doing. I just am doing something that looks totally different. And so there, again, humbling experience, so humbling. Uh, but in that I loved the, the challenge, you know? And so I think that was, I had been working so many years on my body, but I had very little ability to move my body. And I think that was one of the most like eye-opening moments. That's really interesting because it brings to mind just the idea of expressing strength mm -hmm. differently. And that coordination piece and the cognition piece is actually what trumps so many people because they see it and they go, oh, well, it's just your body. That doesn't look that hard. And then they try to get down there and coordinate right and left and realize that their thinky parts and their body are not a hundred percent on the same team. Mm -hmm. Thinky parts. That's a technical term. Mm -hmm. science. Uh, <laughs> hashtag science. So the cool knock on effect of the system you've created, I think is that you've also created a language within which 
people's cognition is massively challenged. It is. And we, in creating the animal flow system, uh, it was apparent very, very quickly that there needed to be a language. And so the language that we use is not only for the movements themselves, naming the movements, but it's also there's a process, uh, there's a structure in which these movements are called out. And there are many different ways to practice animal flow, but one of the ways in which we can practice it is by doing what we call, as you guys know, of course, a call out to somebody else. And so then it really becomes about their reaction time. And so it's like you're, you're verbally telling them a cue and then they have to create the movement puzzle or and put together those pieces with enough proficiency and, and enough precision quickly. And so I think that's where the cognitive part comes into play. And there are few systems that do that. And I'm, I'm certainly not saying we're the only ones, but uh, it's such a unique experience when you have someone who has both hands and feet in contact with the ground and they have to be 100% responsible for how they move their body through space. And it's all limbs, right? It's not just like lunge, squat, push up. It's all limbs moving at the, at the same time, or at least, uh, you know, in sequences. And the other part of the language was we wanted to create a universal language. And so our movements, you know, let's say you have an under switch or a crab reach or whatever it may be. No matter what country we teach the program in, those don't change. So the participants have to learn the English version of those names. However, the rest of the cues that we use, so like direction, left and right, and limb, arm, or leg, they can use their native language for those words. And so the reason that we had, had designed it that way is because we wanted to make it to where if you went anywhere in the world and you met another practitioner of this program, that you would speak the same language with them and you would have the opportunity to learn their word for left or right or arm or leg. And so it just opened up this ability to communicate not only verbally, but also through movement, which to me is just something very special. Yeah, when I started doing animal flow, well, first of all, I was a bit of a brick. So a brick and a brat. A brick and a brat, yeah. So <laughs> a little bit of both. Freya was my coach at the time, and so I wasn't exactly the easiest person to uh, deal with, I think, when I started because left meant right and right meant left, and my joints just didn't do what they were supposed to do. I think at one point I quoted in a, in a rather frustrated voice, Freya, the human body does not move this way, <laughs> and just kind of had to walk away at that point. But the cognitive piece of the left and the right, they take away the physical piece, is so unique to this system, I mean, far apart from anything else that I've done in strongman or powerlifter or anything like that, you actually have to think about, hey, which direction I'm gonna go, and if there's a word like into, then it, it, you stop half a movement, you go into the next movement right away. Right. It just really challenges you in all aspects. Yeah, and you know, we always, <laughs> we used to say this all the time, when, when people say, well, what is animal flow good for? And joking, but not joking, we would just say, fill in the blank like what what do you what do you want to use it for right because if we can if we can make you a more connected more aware human being human animal that has control over their system and has the ability to to become more fluid and efficient and effective in the way in which they move then that hopefully will transfer over into any sport work hobby day-to-day -day life well, I think um, that brings us to the other piece about the community is that 
unlike a lot of other systems out there, this one brings together people with very, very different backgrounds. Movement-wise, life-wise, whatever it is, it's so accessible and it is so complementary to literally anything else you may want to do. Like for me, it counterbalances cycling. For anybody who sits at a desk, it can counterbalance that. And then also, most importantly, you make a really great point. There are a lot of systems out there that I've studied where it's kind of like you have to be able to do the entire thing to mm-hmm. be considered, I don't know, valid in some way. Like powerlifting for example the expectation when I first started learning that is you had to do all three lifts even Mm -hmm. though bench didn't feel good on my ribs at all and I cut it out but the neat thing about this one is that you emphasize not every AF movement is good for every body all the time Mm -hmm. and I think in any body weight discipline or in any loaded discipline that should always be the way it's really encouraging people to tune into their system and use what they need when they need it right and each movement in the program, it's a tool, right? And so that it can be a complete standalone movement or it can be put together in sequences. And that was, all again, always the goal to just have something that didn't have a dogma, didn't have any stigma to it. It was just like, you know, this, this is a, hopefully a useful tool that anyone can use. But like you said, every single movement in our library is not good for every single person. And so the person who is, quote unquote, you know, prescribing that movement they need to know why they're prescribing that movement or giving that movement. And if the person is not successful in that particular variation, how do they make them successful? You know, going back to this kind of idea of this physical attribute spectrum, you know, if you have someone who's used to lifting really heavy things all the time and or being really powerful, this gives them an opportunity or a bridge to be more mobile, be more flexible, be more fluid in the way in which they move. Whereas if you have someone who's already a dancer or a yogi, maybe they could benefit from more of a strength challenge or a body weight strength load or power or speed or precision. And so it really does create this bridge uh, across the, the attribute spectrum. And so it gives people the opportunity to maybe express things that they don't in their normal training. Yeah, I can absolutely speak to the benefit of Animal Flow for complementing my strongman training, which is what I did. It helped me rehab from my knee injury and then, again, gave me much better thoracic mobility for things like log press. Um, And it's something that now I put into pretty much every single program that I build for strongman athletes. And it's really interesting to see them being like, okay, like, why is this in here? This is weird. (laughs) I've never done this before. What's the purpose of this? And then to have them do it and realize wow, this is really hard. Mm -hmm. Like I can carry around 700 pounds on my back, but then I I get on all fours on the ground and I can't just lift two limbs because I fall over. And it just gets the wheels turning in the head of like, wow, why can't I do that? And what could happen if I actually improve that? How is that going to carry over to everything else? And the answer is it does. And it (laughs) makes you more resilient to injury. It makes you stronger overall. And you're just a better full-rounded athlete. Mm -hmm. It's funny there are two thoughts here one was when I was first introduced to it it was great because it felt like I had regained some way of of dance like Mm -hmm. that free flow that I missed but then from a shoulder stability standpoint was huge I could press overhead I could do pull-ups but yet there was still there were there were still a lot of gaps I could do Turkish get-ups with a stupid amount of weight none of that fit the bill because it doesn't explore the ranges that you can explore when you're just doing 
body weight multiplanar on the ground. Yeah. Like there's so many ranges that you just cannot expose your joints to and certainly not in such a proprioceptively rich environment as having your hand on the ground. Yeah. But with that said, I had a sort of a, a second thought because we had touched on dogma within the fitness industry. Mm. And um, I think with that, there's also this perception that we have to fit into very specific mm-hmm. niches and that can be troubling because we then reduce our ability to use tools that actually could be really cool when combined. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, we're starting to see where that's changing and oh, it's, yeah. it's starting to get there to where we see where people realize that they need to have variability in the way in which they load and the way in which their tissue experiences load. Mm-hmm. And that's part of recovery. That's part of becoming resilient. And that's, you know, that's a huge, a huge step forward in the right direction. And you can't ignore the fact that, again, because of the complexity of our structure and our tissue and our nervous system, like if you're doing the same three to six movements every single time you train, your body is adapting because we are adaptation machines to those six movements mm-hmm. and, and everything in our biology is adapting to those movements, right? And we're just, again, we thrive on variability. And so we need to experience all planes of motion at all joints and have that, uh, you know, closed chain, have open chain, be able to to move in ways that we wouldn't experience in a day-to-day life or a day-to-day training session. And so, as you had mentioned, Freya, just, just putting hands and feet in the ground, I mean, there's so much just in that. You know, because that, again, changes all of the load in your tissue versus standing or, you know, lifting weights or swinging or or pressing or whatever it may be. So, again, it just it just gives us that opportunity for variety that the body craves. Yeah. And so just to backtrack a little bit then. So and I know this answer will be it will be different for every single person. Mm -hmm. But when you dove in headfirst into the body weight training what were some of the really key benefits that you found for bodyweight training over, you know, loaded weightlifting? Yeah. You know, I just, the first thing that I noticed right away is that I just felt better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I just felt better. I felt like when I got up in the morning, I wasn't like, <laughs> like go to the edge of the bed first and then kind of like slowly sit up. Um, and you were how old when you were feeling that way in your 20s, right? Yeah, I mean, I was 20, 29, you know, and and, and, and look, look, you know, I, I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying that I'm against resistance training in any way, shape or form. But if that's all you know, right, you know, if if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And if, if that's all you know at that point, I just don't feel like you're honoring the system. Yeah. And so the first thing that I realized right away was just like, wow the amount of, of load that my body was no longer under, it was a marked change. Like I could definitely tell right away that I just felt better in my system. My tissue felt better overall. It was just like, okay, something's happening. Something's changing here. But then on the other side of that, you have, you have the skill acquisition part. And so there's monotony in resistance training, right? And so whenever you start changing to a skill mindset, it opens up so much and you start looking at these skills that you want to obtain over time. And then you start looking at, you know, how do I get there? 
And so with calisthenics, it, it might be, you know, how do I get to a freestanding handstand push up or, you know, uh, a muscle up or a human flag with animal flow to me, it's not as specific goal, you know, oriented, oriented, right? It's more of like, I personally think when I watch someone whom, which I think is a very good flowist, Mm -hmm. what I'm watching is their ability to look effortless. And so when I see someone that's flowing very well, they're creative in the way in which they put the movements or sequences together, they have a nice variety of tempo changes where they're explosive or they're recoiling or they're slowing down and they're changing direction. They're showing ultimate control of their body, but they're doing it in a way that looks light and effortless. I like that you touched on that too, because one of the key things that we try to emphasize is that uh, when people learn the system, they get excited. Some of them are humbled and frustrated. Others are excited and they, they want to dive right into that effortless and mm-hmm. seamless thing. What they don't realize is you have to just like go through the structure over and mm-hmm. over and over again and tune into your system and really like refine your brain's map of it. Whereas I do find that with resistance training, and again, I'm not bashing it. I did it for quite a long time. I found that um, my frustration with resistance training was more around the goals that they set. Mm-hmm. And the goals, when I was first informed, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but when I first hired a coach, because I had been in like rehab and performance, so hadn't done barbells yet, the goal was set right right out of the gate that you should aim to deadlift 300 pounds. And Mm -hmm. to me, that didn't give any room or space. And it was based on like, this is your body weight, this is your gender, therefore, based on this arbitrary chart, (laughs) your bench should be this, your overhead should be this, your deadlift should be this, and your squat should be this. And it just seemed, at the time, I was like, oh, okay, cool, this is how this industry this part of the industry operates. Mm -hmm. But even that is so, so flawed because it doesn't leave room for like, okay, well, what's the skill of your pickup? Hopefully it is good but even then where's the stopping point because there are weights that both Dana and I have gotten to that I walked away from it and I was like I had no business doing that Mm -hmm. visually I know my movement looked good and I had I had three peers there when I did one of my PRs and I was livid because I knew in that moment I was like I have completely gone against what my system wanted today and I had no business lifting that and I don't ever need to lift that again because there's a point at which like if you're not a competitive lifter there's a point at which most people feel shitty, but aren't don't know what else to do because the guidance has generally been towards the weight mm-hmm. side of things. Mm-hmm. So having something like body weight where the exploration is endless, right. you can still do resistance and complement it with that. But I think it it uh, brings about a greater honesty. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't want people pushing until their wrists are inflamed. And it's a great feedback piece of like, yeah, you're done today. Even though people are looking for like the heart rate and I want more muscle burn, they would do that with resistance training. But with body weight, your body's like, "Uh, no, you're going to press pause and do this again once you're fresh. Yeah. And people don't realize the load on the nervous system, you know, whenever you're in that that space of acquiring a skill. Also, what I think most people don't realize is in body weight training and progressive body weight training there are maybe 20 progressions to get to some of these pinnacle exercises. And so, you know, let's say you see something on Instagram and you go, cool, I want to do that. And then you just go and try, try to do that thing without having the prerequisite 
maybe angles at the joints uh, or ranges, but then also just not realizing that there were so many steps to get to where that person is. And hey, I'm just going to go try this is not the right approach. <laughs> and so, but again, kind of to echo what you guys are saying, that path is the path of self-mastery that I love so much. It's realizing that like, all right, sometimes you're going up, sometimes you take a couple steps back, sometimes you go back up and you know, and even when you reach that thing, you can still be do it better. You can still clean it up. You can add, you know, um, more reps or more flair and animal flow or or again more fluidity. So hopefully you never reach the point where you feel like, "No, I'm done. Like my body's good. I'm good." Yeah, and that really speaks to kind of one of the dangerous areas of social media where people will see, well, we can take Animal Flow, for example, we'll see an advanced flowist doing some cool stuff, and they'll see it be like, whoa, that looks really cool. I'm just going to dive in and try that. And then that can, I mean, A, if you just can't do it and it's really frustrating, well, then that can spoil you for that entire type of movement Mm -hmm. modality because you're just like, I just can't do this. Yeah. Um, And that's where I'll just put in a little plug for the on-demand channel that Animal Flow now has is there are tutorials, there are flow classes, there are, it just, and there's beginner, intermediate, advanced. It breaks everything down from A to Z. It gives you places to start. If something's too hard, there are regressions. And so that's why it's always best to go to the source if you're trying to start a new modality because then you're going to get, I mean, as I would call it, the proper education. Right. And you'll, you'll progress in the proper manner and not just get really defeated by being like, oh, my body can't do that. Yes. Yeah, you know, I, again, I'm such a huge advocate of making people feel successful, not defeated. Oh, yeah. And so... Just to give a little bit of information, you know, we, we've been around for nine years since we launched Animal Flow, and we considered ourselves for the majority of that as an education company, you know, and so it was our goal to certify as many instructors, coaches, practitioners, uh, you know, uh, clinicians, therapists that we possibly could because we knew that they would have the greatest ability to affect other people. And that worked out really, really well. And we have, I think we've had about 10,000 people come through the workshops globally. And so we, uh, you know, six months ago, I think we launched On Demand, uh, which was kind of our first real push to go, all right, some people will never go to a class. Some people will never go to, you know, a certification or a workshop or whatever, Maybe they they don't feel comfortable. Maybe they feel silly. Maybe, you know, they tried it and they couldn't do it or whatever. So that's why the on-demand is such a great tool for anyone at home because they can very easily navigate the platform. They can find flows every single week. They can find tutorials on every single movement in our our entire, almost our entire library. Uh, They can find classes, as you had mentioned. And so it it was really our first push to go, let's make this ultra accessible to everybody. And you also have flows and things involved in the on-demand that can be done in a tiny little space. Mm. Like if you just have a studio apartment and have just this small space in front of the TV, they've specifically made flows to fit within these tiny little areas. So accessibility is definitely the name of the game there. Yeah, and you don't need anything, right? It's no, just exactly. your, body Bring your body and a little bit of space. Yeah. Well, and what was it that you were telling us was a luxury gym, Mike? Yeah, so uh, I, I always say a little bit of space is a gym. Something to hang from or pull up on is a luxury gym. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and this house of yours has uh, exactly that. 
place to set up your rings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This house is um, it's pretty pretty awesome, and it also can host friends, <laughs> Canadian friends. Yeah, Mike moved into a new house here, and you've been here how long? Two weeks? Officially, yeah, like three weeks. Yeah, yeah, about three weeks, and so he's been kind enough to let us in here, and it's just such a badass house. I mean, there's different different spaces. There's a movement space upstairs. There's a theater room downstairs. There's like a little bar area, a little <laughs> Taj Mahal area, a dining room. It's just, it's a really cool space. With no couches. None. We're sitting mm. on the ground and on beanbags. <laughs> so sort of similar but sidebar question. We believe that injuries aren't random. We mm. believe that there are a lot of red flags that lead up to them. And we try to educate our clients on how to pay attention to their system mm. more closely. Because when people say, oh, it just happened. That one moment. <laughs> It really is like the 20 years of practice you put into moving that joint in only that range that caused that yeah. or, uh, you know, the however many hours that you spent with that joint in that static mm. position, not exploring anything else. So with regards to body weight training in your experience, have you found that it helps expose or preempt injuries more rapidly than some of the um, loaded exercises you used to do? Without a doubt, you know, and I, I think a big part of that is, again, uh, taking responsibility for your body and, and how you can navigate your environment. And so with loaded training, your focus is on moving an object from point A to point B. And so while that has many, many benefits, it's different than the process of, again, figuring out the movement puzzle. So like, how can I make that motion? How can I find that shape? And bringing that awareness, as you had mentioned earlier, having hands and feet in contact with the ground is such a proprioceptively rich experience. And bringing that awareness into somebody's system, they may realize much quicker, oh, this doesn't feel right. Or, you know, I've got this shoulder that's speaking to me or, you know, whatever it may be. But I think Yes, to answer your question, I, I do believe that it does bring more attention to possible injuries, but I think a big part of that, again, is just the awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not like forcing past a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. It brings to mind that like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Peace. <laughs> because a lot of people can do things but it goes back to your point about longevity and like am I doing something today that will help me 50 years from now 30 years from now and so on and I think that in many ways we hope that that's we're doing the right thing but if we explore different movement modalities whatever they are we actually get a much better answer than if we're just stuck in one way of doing things right you know we have people who will run and they'll have every kind of brace on their (laughs) ankles and their knees and like even their shoulders are taped up and unfortunately those are all like massive signs of maybe you need to run differently or run less often or change like add something else Mm -hmm. in to stabilize those joints because that's not a normal progression of life like it isn't normal to need more and more assistance to be able to move no it's not (laughs) it's really not just not to that speaking of running Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think i believed i heard you say the other day that now that you're here in colorado near the mountains you go up and you run in the trail sometime so with that being said what does your training frequency look like kind of week to week now and has it how has it changed over the years yeah, so it, it goes through waves. 
and uh, as I as I feel like it should, and mm-hmm. and and hopefully, I've learned to listen much more, and 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 then make decisions on how my training should alter or be adapted. And so, uh, you know, I've gone. So once I went body weight training, I was strictly body weight training for five years, I think. Wow. Yeah, and I was doing a combination of calisthenics with animal flow was my movement training. And so at the moment, what I found to work best for me is every single morning, and you guys now know this, I have I have a very True. strict routine, having spent two weeks or however long you guys have been here. Not long enough, by the way. And <laughs> and so every single morning, as soon as I wake up, you know, I, I, I have a, I'm a big advocate of Spina's work with FRC. And so I, I do my cars every morning and in between each articulation or joint area, I practice one body weight pattern. So it might be a horizontal push. It might be a vertical pull, might be a squat. So that's kind of my mobility slash body weight strength training. And then the, my second session for the day, which is usually evening or afternoon is my animal flow training. And so every single day, you know, I, I look at body weight training mostly because it's mostly linear or very sagittal dominant. So that's why it's a nice combination with all the controlled articular rotations. Plus then put, being able to put all those pieces into motion later on in the day has proven to be very effective. And every now and then you'll go for a beautiful run in the mountains. And everyone, every now and then I will definitely go for a trail run. You know, I mean, for multiple reasons. One, I think, again, honoring the human body is, is very nice. And having the ability to walk, hike, run is fantastic. I'm just a shit runner. Like, I, I've never really enjoyed running, especially not on a treadmill or pavement. So for me, being on a trail is like... It's amazing because it allows you to to have these obstacles that you're always negotiating and, and like really just being in nature. Mm-hmm. And then I also will typically go for sunrise. And so there's just something really fantastic about being in nature at sunrise, yeah. brand new day. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're surrounded with the, the animals feeding in the morning and you're surrounded with just like these beautiful views uh, Boulder's a terrible place to live. I recommend no one ever comes here. <laughs> Including us. <laughs> yeah, the the running piece is interesting because I've trained a lot of runners and even the ones who compete in road, I encourage them to get onto the trails, partially to give their tissues a break, yeah. to get the volume, like give your tissues a break, but also give yourself a cognitive task. And it's kind of like play. Mm-hmm. Like I used to only, re- I loved racing trails because I just, barreling through the forest and picking your path is is that same reaction or reactionary skill Mm -hmm. it really is a skill because i'd get to the top of hills and i'd bolt down and you have to kind of like dance side to side to do it but you'd see a lot of people just stop and hesitate because they Mm -hmm. hadn't yet trained their system enough to react that quickly and you you can see that in flow where it looks effortless versus where it looks a little more muscular um but yeah being out in nature is is a terrible thing does nothing good for the body Mm -mm. not at all Mm So we're getting close to our wrap-up questions, but you've been in the industry a long time now, mm-hmm. and you started lifting when you were quite young. Are there any things that you've seen as massive shifts in beliefs within our industry as a whole? Yeah, you know, I, I often say I think right now is one of the most exciting times I've ever seen, or I, I would 
I would say it is the most exciting time that I've seen since mm-hmm. I've been in the industry because one, so many things can coexist now and even the educators and presenters are no longer as much doing the whole it's my way or no one else's way or, you know, screw that guy's method, you know, and we don't see that quite as much now. Most often we'll see where if someone has a program or a protocol or whatever that they've created or that they're they're pushing out there, usually they will also see the benefit of other approaches. And so they'll say, if you like this, you'll probably really like this. And that did not exist, you know, five years ago. And so and now you see where all of these presenters or leaders of programs or creators are really friendly with each other and they all know each other and then they, they can intelligently speak on each other's programs versus just saying, no, mine's the best. That person sucks. It, it is nice to see that shift. There is still like an old guys club on. Yeah. In certain areas of the industry, for sure, that kind of thing will always exist. But it is nice to see how much collaboration there is going on. Yeah. Because we're all working with the same vessel at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of collaboration, I'd be remiss if I didn't touch base on the team that you have built here for, with Animal Flow. Um, I'm fortunate enough to live with a master instructor, yeah. Animal Flow. And the people that you have curated over the years is, is fast. It's just a great, great team of people. So can you speak to how that has grown and how you developed the team that you have right now? Yeah. So... Whenever we first started, Michel Dalcourt from Institute of Motion and the creator of Viper, he was so generous with his time as far as giving us some really real gems of advice when we were first starting. And one of the things that he told me right from the beginning, he said, look, as you're building your team, as you're building your team of educators, don't try to find people who are carbon copies of you. You know, don't try to find other Mike Fitches. You need to find people who are rock stars in their own right and that they bring something totally unique to your system or how it's taught or whatever that may be. And so that really resonated with me. And I knew like, okay, so as we build our team, we need to find people who, yes, they're already educators, but we can always help them become better educators. Yes, they're probably already movers because everyone who's a master instructor has taken our workshop before we even begin the conversation about them becoming a master instructor. But the thing that surprises me every single time that I'm with our group and even just individuals from our group is one, how just absolutely brilliant they are, but two, how they can so easily slip into the gutter in 0.5 seconds. (laughs) And it really is one of the most fantastic things ever. When you have so many people that you love spending time with and that make you split your sides laughing but then can immediately in a split second have the most intense conversation about anything you know and it's it's just like wow you guys really are superheroes like every single person on our team is just so unique and so incredible in so many ways and they all get along and so you know we knew Karen Mahar who is my business partner it was always kind of our rule don't work with shitty people (laughs) it's like number one rule good rule for life when you have like if it's your company if it's your dream that you're building don't work with people you don't enjoy and so every single one of our master instructors is just i just love being around them 
and we feel so confident sending them out to teach the program. And we're, you know, we're very involved with each other. So it's not like once you, we pick you, you just go off on your own. Uh, if we're, you know, we're going to get together for our master instructor retreats and, and you guys are going to come into town and we're going to shoot and we're all going to talk all day on our, on WhatsApp. <laughs> and, you know, we're just, I just feel so fortunate all the time. Yeah. And, and this speaks again to the system and the language within the system, because you have master instructors in how many countries now? You know, I don't off the top of my head, I don't know the exact number, but we have 18 master instructors and we only one, two, three, three of those are in the States. Yeah. Yeah. And when you get to the master instructors retreat, not everyone is, has English as a first language, and yet you guys all just get into a room, and it's like, hey, we're going to flow now, and just call it, start happy, and everyone knows the language, and it's, it's just really a beautiful thing to watch. It is. It is. And then, you know, we have the animal flow instructor community, which is also very inspiring. And so, you know, every time I see on our Facebook Animal Flow Instructors Facebook group, just people all over the world loving this thing, coming together, being super, you know, uh, supportive of each other. It's a group like I've never seen anywhere else on social media, uh, just the amount of support and love there. And the great thing is that whenever they travel, like whenever our instructors travel, they'll just be, you know, they'll get on online and say, hey, I'm going to be in Shanghai or I'm going to be in Melbourne or I'm going to be uh, in Dubai who's around who wants to jam and you know two or three people will speak up and then they've got like an entire group that they can flow with new friends maybe even a place to, to crash i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't know what happens this is not my job yes <laughs> um it is true even that the mentorship that i had the privilege of being at um this past fall actually that was really cool. That was a neat experience because there were so many students from all over. There were a handful that knew each other, but there were, what, 36 or so students? Yeah. And to watch that many people coordinate and get along and live together mm. for a full week mm. as adults is pretty incredible. Just getting together from all different walks of life and cultures and so on. And it's really interesting, too, because within our master instructor group, I normally get a little bit anxious meeting a lot of new mm -hmm. people, but the first time going to ballet, I think there were eight or nine of us at that mm -hmm. time, maybe. And within seconds, it was so abundantly clear that this was a very safe group to be a part of and like super fun. And it was the combination of like, I'm surrounded by really intelligent people. They're also hilarious. And there wasn't a second thought about being nervous or like judged a certain way. Like there's none of that. And I find that that's also really warming when it comes to the instructor community as well, because that's, that group on Facebook is a massively supportive group. There are a lot of groups I've seen, um, you know, where people just get, just let their ego get in a way mm. a little bit. And it's technology, so communicating on technology is always tricky anyway, and written things are tricky. But here where people share their flows, they share their successes, you see them cheering each other on. There are people that you've never met in person before, but you feel like you know them a lot. And uh, when you do finally get to meet them in person, that's pretty cool too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but that is unique, and and I don't think anybody could have maybe imagined it would get that way mm -hmm. and that big, but it is pretty special, especially at a time when I think there's a lot of segregation in our world, and having a bit more cohesiveness is nice, through movement, no through less. Through movement, yeah. That one's key. 
Yeah, and uh, for any of our, our, our listeners who listen to every podcast we put out there, you'll know that Fran and I speak to the value of community for everything that we do in health. And if you're going to start a new movement modality or, you know, that's the beauty of going to a, a new gym, right? Like a, a, and especially a private small gym, you get to know the community there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have that, Animal Flow has this beautiful, huge online community. And it's just, again, another aspect of uh, the system that is fantastic for health. So you got into bodyweight training mm-hmm. at 30 and then you created a community with thousands of people and you didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, from being a 30-year-old trainer who only has so many hours in the day to affect so many people, mm-hmm. you know, if you're doing one-on-one sessions, mm-hmm. even if you're doing group sessions, you know, but to be here now almost a decade later and know that we have so many people out there that are affecting other people for for the greater good it's just it's inspiring you know and i always tell people like look for me i don't have this thing of like i created this thing that like uh you know i I, i'm so cool it's it's i am really really proud to be part of something so great. And I just feel like it's such a a blessing to be able to be part of a group of people that are absolutely global and that just love to share movement with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the system itself has changed so much over the years. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like that is constantly evolving. I just want to say for the record though, he is pretty cool. Yes. (laughs) Yes. On a cool 10 out of 10 scale, Mike is a... Cucumber. Great, great. As I'm lounging on this beanbag, (laughs) very laid back at the moment. Well, so speaking of (laughs) beanbags and theater room, we happen to know that you've watched your fair share of movies. Mm. And typically we ask our guests for book recommendations, which we will. But we'd like to ask you for movie recommendations, one that you recommend people watch Mm. and one that you would discourage them perhaps from wasting that time with Mm. yeah so i think two uh two movies that i very much enjoyed uh one of them was most recently was the joker and you know look joaquin phoenix is fantastic in that movie but it's just it's a film Mm -hmm. you know yeah and i left thinking like i was like giddy walking out of the theaters because i was like oh people are still making films that's (laughs) incredible And just the grittiness of it, the emotion in that in that movie, it was just, I was just so inspired when I left. So that one's a good one. And then still on the darker side, but uh, there's a movie called Midsommar. Mm-hmm. And it was by the director who, or sorry, by the writer and or director, I'm, I, I, I'm not exactly sure, um, who put out Hereditary which Hereditary is one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen in my entire life. So Midsommar is similar in the way that it's kind of like a horror film, but it's beautiful. It's just like it is a piece of art. The, the cinema, cinematography is fantastic. Uh, some of the the sequences that they have in, in this movie is just, it's incredible. So anyway, so if, if horror is your thing, that Joker is just a movie I think everyone should see. A movie that I was definitely disappointed in recently was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. 
And so that was just, uh, you know, I wanted it to be so much better. And I kept waiting it for it to get better, and it just never happened. I mean, some of the performances in that were great. Like, Brad Pitt's character was great. Leo DiCaprio, I mean, they were great. both really, really good in that movie. Yeah. But it was three-plus hours. And just to be three-plus hours and to be a Western half of the movie and to be yeah. another story half of the movie. Yeah, it didn't, you know, and look tarantino i think has a very hard time editing his own stuff yeah. <laughs> and cutting out hours at a time but you know it the, i've it had the feeling that the movie didn't know what it wanted to be and, and like you said it was a western for 45 minutes you know or it's you know it's about manson but then it's not about manson and so i think if the goal was I, from what i remember he had said it was his love story to to la or hollywood uh, I just don't feel like he captured it. I don't feel like he captured that specific time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> now, on the topic of most impactful books you've read, can you pick one from recent history? Yeah, you know, I think I think two of the books I really enjoyed a lot were The Story of the Human Body as well as uh, Sapiens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just fascinating uh evolutionary biology to me is just it it really is just so so fascinating that here we are you know now talking through our technology and these microphones and you know it's just it's it's amazing and so those those two and then also uh most recently i'm reading the emperor's i think it's called the emperor's handbook yeah and so it's a marcus aurelius book it's um his or i think was called the meditations it's transcribed and it's it's incredible to see the things that that he was writing about then still absolutely hold true today and we need a lot of those lessons again today more so than ever yeah i think society would be a much better place if everyone had to read that i fully agree i fully agree well and try to practice it yeah it's it's quite nice to read it and quote (laughs) stoicism but when people don't practice it it's a very different story it's true uh apparently narcissism is on the rise in our culture (laughs) (laughs) what are you trying to say (laughs) no not you (laughs) uh what is your non-negotiable self-care tool or habit that's just a daily thing that you must must do for yourself floss Yep, oral hygiene. Oral hygiene. Oral hygiene. Yep, Mike Moons. Mike Moons. We had him on for acupuncture. That was his number one too. It's yeah, oral hygiene, very important, folks. But non-negotiable. You know, every single morning after I wake up, I have coffee and then I move every single morning, and so that's a non-negotiable for me. Great. And finally, my friend, where can people find you or learn more about Animal Flow? I'm not sure if I want them to find me. Uh, <laughs> I'll find you. <laughs> no, so you you can go to animalflow.com where you can find our on-demand channel. You can find upcoming workshops. You can find apparel. So that's a pretty good place to start. If you're more on the IG side, you can go to Animal Flow Official, which is our uh, company account, and then... For my personal account, it's just Mike GBT, and it's just weird stuff that I do on the on on the norm. Weird stuff on the norm. What is normal? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Really appreciate the time and your patience, given that we had to do a slight re-recording. 
of sorts. <laughs> I was happy to do it, guys. You know this. <laughs> but we really appreciate it. And if any of the listeners are in the Boulder area, we're now going to hand out Mike's address. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we're going to... Mike is running a couple of workshops this year. So if you are in the Boulder area, we'll link those in. And then he's also getting involved in co-teaching a few classes over the next few weeks only. So that's pretty exciting. And we can link that into the show notes as well. Yeah. So we have a couple of, of newer instructors, not necessarily newer instructors, but who a couple of instructors who are just now teaching classes. And so typically, you know, we may have personal trainers who are used to teaching one-on-ones and so they'll incorporate animal flow or teach animal flow. But we also do have classes of animal flow. And so I am going to be co-teaching with them so that I can just kind of share with them my knowledge on how to run a successful animal flow class. And then those classes will, you know, I'll feel very, very at ease letting those guys go out on their own. However, I do want to have here in Boulder at least one or two classes a week that I will teach solo when I'm in town. Yeah, so if you are in the Boulder area, you are in luck because there's <laughs> lots going down here. If you are not, as we mentioned, the On Demand channel, which we will link in, it's a great place. You can get a free seven-day trial just to check out any of the tutorials, flows, and it's just it's a it's a blast, and it will really help you with your movement quality and tra- and if you again if you compete in another sport, it will have carryover and make you a better athlete overall. Definitely. So, So thank you again, Mike. You have patience. And like I said, we started this podcast because we have so many people like you in our lives who we find we have just these deep conversations with. We're like, man, this information would be so great if we could share it. And so thank you for allowing to put a microphone in front of your face, not once, but twice. Hopefully this (laughs) recording works out better than the last one. And uh, well, we look forward to the next time we can come back and hang out with you again, man. Well, yeah. Well, I hope it's soon. I love you guys. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.